This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce. Today I had the honor of speaking with Helena, who's another member of the Peak Resilience Project. The Peak Resilience Project is a group of young women who are simply stating their stories about transition and detransition. In this interview, Helena speaks about what prompted her desire to transition and what prompted her to detransition. And we also speak about the internet subcultures that she got swept up in. And I believe she brings some insight into certain sort sorts of ideologies that um, enforce a rigidity of mind that cause people to deny not only facts, but to aggressively try to go after people who are telling stories that would undermine their own lived experience, so-called. So this is another perfectly human interview. And again, I want to state that these stories of individuals' uh, transitions and their own process of working through dysphoria and gender issues is not meant to denigrate people with different experience at all. This is just to provide people with more resources about various ways of dealing with having a body that you don't feel is proper to your soul or to your mind or however you want to think about it. Here's Helena. Have you uh, been practicing the ukulele this morning? No. <laughs> it's kind of just for decoration. We, we just have it, so we decided <laughs> to put it up on the wall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I guess if you're not going to use it, it might as well just uh, hover over you like a dream catcher. Exactly. I think it's kind of cute. <laughs> um, is it trash day? Sorry about the random questions. No, you're good. Yeah, it is, actually. Um, yeah, that would be my friend, the garbage truck. Oh, you have friends. I mean, <laughs> th that came out wrong. <laughs> you have mechanical friends. Yeah. Um, hopefully he goes away soon. Um, were you interested in dump trucks as a young child? Not at all. Oh, really? Okay. So no. um, I, I don't want to dive right in, but like that was kind of a segue to the tomboyishness of your early childhood, if you if you had that um, going on. That's actually an interesting one. I wasn't really ever a tomboy. I don't think I would consider myself like that. I wasn't really super feminine either, but hmm. I definitely I didn't have a preference either way. It was kind of just neutral. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this is your conversation, so. Um... What do you, where do you want to go? Where do you want to lead me? Um, I watched both Kiara and Dagny's conversation with you. Um, they had a lot of really good points and talked a lot about their experiences. I think they have more of that experience of being a tomboy. Um, and I honestly don't really relate to that. So hmm. I don't know. I guess I, I'd love to talk about maybe kind of the the politics behind some of the trans stuff, like some of my opinions on that, as well as social media and maybe the psychological and sociological aspects of this whole thing, because I'm really interested in that and mm -hmm. I love thinking about it and I want other people to know kind of more what is going on and my thoughts on how everything came about. 
Okay. Uh, um, how everything came about uh, with regards to where we're at right now as a society, a, a very particular society, uh, North America, maybe Britain too. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think I would be able to accurately explain it on a larger scale, like the big picture, but I can definitely get, give some insight into how individual girls specifically are finding it online and mm -hmm. what kind of is causing them to be so passionate about it. Okay. Do you, would you want to start with your own personal journey um, and then uh, go into the general, go from the specific For sure. to the general? Yeah. So um, then I guess, I don't know how to frame it then. Um, when did you start um, questioning your gender identity? I was 15. Um, ironically, it was right after I started questioning my sexuality. I consider myself bisexual. Um, but I started questioning that halfway into about my being 14 that year. Hmm. Um, and I had also been starting to use Tumblr more and more. And as I got more involved in the culture of Tumblr and started making friends on there and was introduced to concepts like sexuality and gender, hmm. I went to a Catholic school. Um, my family never really talked about that kind of stuff. They weren't outwardly homophobic or anything, but it just wasn't anything discussed. So I never thought about it. Hmm. Um, but as I started learning about that online, I started thinking about it for myself. So I started learning about the gender stuff online. Ironically, at first, I thought it was really stupid. Um, huh. In middle school, kind of before this period of my life, I was really edgy. I went on all sorts of like edgy sites like Reddit um, and stuff like that. And I was really into the edgy memes and stuff and making fun of SJWs. Okay. Yeah. So I thought it was really stupid. But as I started seeing it more and more and huh. seeing more people talk about their personal experiences with gender, I started humanizing this mm. experience mm -hmm. and not really seeing it as just crazy SJWs yeah. and more like people who had experiences like mine and this is how they were processing it and dealing with it. So hmm. I eventually started relating to it and identifying as trans. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, I, I do want to preface this. Uh, I've, I've gotten a little bit of flack for, from people who are worried about me as a 40 year old man talking to young women about their sexuality. And oh I my God. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to defend myself against that criticism, but I, I do think that when we talk about this issue, there is a link between gender and sexuality. Um, yes. And I'm not, I, even saying that I'm not getting off on this is, is poisoning the water. But I, yeah. I do want to have a frank discussion, but it's, it's up to you where you want to go. With, For sure. with this. But what, what do you think is the relationship between um, like discovering your sexuality and and the questioning of gender and gender roles? Well, um, first of all, I, I think a lot of what kind of puts sexuality and gender identity in the same boat for people is that there's this feeling of alienation or mm -hmm. wrongness that you have as a young person. I definitely don't think that society right now is like for the most part on a larger scale like this awful homophobic society where you know no matter how old you are you hate yourself and you hate being gay and all this stuff like it hmm. has been previously 
Um, but I do think that as a young person, especially someone who comes from more of a sheltered background in terms of sexuality, you do have this feeling of hmm. there's something wrong with me. Um, and that can kind of make you feel like you are not like other girls or you're not like other guys. So it's a pretty easy segue to questioning your gender identity when yeah. you already have this kind of feeling of not fitting in or not being normal. And mm -hmm. then you're looking for ways to explain that. And even if you're already questioning your sexuality, the, the gender thing can kind of like wiggle its way in there. Yeah. So is I it, definitely is think it it's a way out of, uh, I guess, uh, being a homosexual or, or is it a way out or, or a way of coping with a sexuality that you feel emergent inside of you and yet from a mm. cultural level is is a bad thing yeah i definitely think for a lot of people that plays a big part i think it plays more of a part for a lot of lesbian women mm -hmm. than it ever did for me i didn't really i don't know i felt a lot of shame but i didn't attribute it directly to my sexuality if that makes sense i think a lot of especially gay people grow up hmm. thinking to themselves like this particular thing my sexuality is the thing that's wrong so i have to fix it in whatever way possible i have to run away from it in whatever way possible so i think for a lot of people that is a big thing but for me it was more of a general sense of wrongness or not belonging okay. that happen because of a lot of factors including yeah. sexuality but not yeah yeah just the sexuality yeah and so how how did you progress then from questioning into deciding on a course with regards to being trans and how far did you end up going um, um i actually did end up being on testosterone for almost two years what, what um, ages uh from like the week after i turned 18 okay. to just before i turned 20 okay um, it was, I don't know, on Tumblr specifically, there's this attitude of like, if you have the slightest inclination that you might have a gender identity confusion or something like that, um, the healthiest thing for you to do would be to explore that and experiment with that. So I, I had close at the time who were also, um, very avid user of, users of Tumblr and we both we all kind of had this feeling of unease. One of them is a gay man and one of them is a lesbian. So they hmm. had kind of these problems that we were talking about. Um, and we would have a lot of conversations about gender and we all kind of decided that we would experiment with it. So we all changed our pronouns and uh, announced to our online community as well as our close circle of friends that we were going to change our pronouns kind of like oh, I don't know what my gender identity is, but I'm confused, so use they, them pronouns, or okay. he, him pronouns, or even neo pronouns, like Z, Zim, and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. Um, so it kind of went from not thinking about it at all to kind of thinking about it a little bit and exploring it to eventually I ended up just IDing as male. Okay. And um, how did you end up expressing your maleness then? Was it in dress, or did you change your voice? And Um... How much I, effort did you put into it? And... It was kind of interesting for me because I identified as trans for five years in total. So three years not transitioning and then two years I actually physically transitioned. Mm -hmm. um, and the three years that I spent before I transitioned were all in high school and I didn't want to come out while I was in high school hmm. for many reasons. Um, I was didn't this want a to high, my parents. Uh, Catholic high school? 
no, at that point I had moved to a different school, okay. which was a public school. Um, I just didn't want to come out because I was kind of on the outskirts of like my school community. And I just thought I, it would be embarrassing to come out even though I did want to. Um, so I hmm. kind of just dressed completely as I always had, like as a girl, whatever that means. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't make any effort to present male, even though I did cut my hair, but that doesn't mean you're presenting male. Mm -hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> as soon as I started tea, that was the exact time when I actually started trying to pass as male. Um, and I didn't really successfully pass as male until about a year into it. Okay. And what was the experience of being on T for you? At first, I was definitely really excited. I was really elated. I was really optimistic. Um, but it is a common thing for women on testosterone to experience a lot of anger. Hmm. Um, there's this weird phenomenon where if you get upset and you want to cry, you can't cry. Hmm. It's really strange, but I've heard a lot of trans guys say that they've been through that, and I went through that. So even though I was really elated at first, eventually these kinds of problems kept getting more apparent, and I started feeling really miserable. Okay. By problems, do you mean like problems expressing emotion or problems like even trying to figure out what you're feeling? Yeah. Like that and also just the anger. I was angry like all the time. Really? Everything would make me angry all the time. <laughs> And it was the strongest for like the first three months or so. And then it kind of evened out. But by that time, I just felt like I had been put through the ringer. Wow. Through all these emotional changes. How did you end up dealing with the anger? Did you have an outlet for it or did it um, just... Yeah, I kind of just stewed in it. Wow. It was really not a fun experience for me. I know mm. that's not the same for everybody. But for me, it was just purely the effects of testosterone on the way I was experiencing my life were not great. I didn't have really the mental health to be able to do anything with my life that I really wanted. I was mm. in school and I just was going through this period of time where I was isolating. I was angry all the time. So I didn't go to class. I, yeah. I don't know. It just kind of really messed with my mental health. So this is something I neglected to speak about with uh, your compatriots, but mm -hmm. In moving into like getting on tea and, and initiating a physical transformation, did you have anybody to t speak to in the medical establishment, anybody official, like a psychologist or anybody that was helping you along the way? That, no. That, that was acting as a gatekeeper or a, a mentor? No, actually, hmm. this is probably the thing about the experience that the experience that pisses me off the most, because as my 18th birthday was approaching, I was looking for clinics that would do informed consent because I, there was one clinic in my hometown that was the traditional route of like, you apply and then you get therapy and then you have to go to all these appointments and then eventually they mm. might um, prescribe you testosterone. Um, but the waiting list for this clinic was oh. so long, it was like a year and a half or something. So my other option was to go through informed consent. At the time in my hometown, there wasn't any informed consent clinics. So I had to drive to the nearest city that there was something like that, which was like a six hour drive. Oh, wow. So I made this appointment. I know. And I lied to my parents about where I was. I mm -hmm. told them I was going for a sleepover, but in reality I was driving to this other city to get hormones. Um, hmm. But um, yeah, so a week before my 18th birthday about, I made this appointment for a week after my 18th birthday. I drove up there. They gave me my tea, one hour appointment. I drove back hmm. and then 
I never, there wasn't a lot of follow-up. There was one phone call that I had two weeks after the appointment where they asked like, are you having any side effects? I said no, and then I never talked to them again. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so by informed consent, do they like give you a pamphlet and trust that you've read it? Yeah, basically, um, huh. my appointment was kind of two half-hour sections. One was talking to a social worker where she just asked like, how long have you been experiencing dysphoria? Um, Hmm. Do you like, do you want male characteristics? And I had all these rehearsed answers that maybe I didn't actually okay. genuinely believe, hmm. but it's really it's popular for the trans community to like help each other rehearse answers and tell yeah. each other what to say to doctors and stuff like that. So I gave her my answers. She said, okay. And then the next half hour was reading over the pamphlet, the informed consent pamphlet, and then signing it. Okay. And then yeah. I got my prescription. Like like when you open up iTunes for the first time, you just kind of scroll yeah. through it and click the box. Yeah, um, pretty much. Do you have you done much research in the side effects of tea? And did you do it before uh, you started going on it? I knew a little bit. I knew um, that a lot of trans men end up needing hysterectomies around the five year mark. Oh, really? uh, be, yeah, it's pretty common um, because just this new having a lot of testosterone and not a lot of estrogen and progesterone and all this other hormones that are typical for the female body, um, for organs that are in your reproductive system yeah. that rely on those to function, yeah. it can really mess things up. You can start, your uterus and ovaries can start atrophying. Um, you can have vaginal atrophy and all this kind of stuff. So hmm. a lot of trans men end up experiencing extreme pain and, or even, I don't know, all sorts of other complications that in the end they need to have hysterectomies. And I was aware of this, um, but I kind of saw it as like, well, there's so much activism going on that probably by the time that that's my problem, doctors will figure something out. Hmm. So I didn't, I did not take it as seriously as I should have. Did, um, did the, um, were you on testosterone as well as like some sort of estrogen blocker or do you just put it both in the system and hope for the best? Yeah. <laughs> huh. um, I know trans women or males who go on estrogen, they do have to take testosterone blockers. Okay. Um, but I don't think women ever have to take any kind of estrogen blocker. Hmm. Um, I'm not really sure a lot about how it works, but I know that they just give you the testosterone usually. And what initiated your turn back? Um. As I said earlier, I was just starting to get really miserable and and how did you it, how did you know that like w looking outside of you at the way that the world was acting towards you or was it like an internal just like a kind of you took a inventory of what you've been it was, experiencing it was very internal the only really like experience with the world being unaccepting of me was my parents hmm. um, they weren't cruel to me they didn't insult me or anything like that. They just did not validate my gender identity. So we got in a lot of fights Oh, yeah. and they acted in really inappropriate ways, but I also acted in really inappropriate ways. Yeah. I would say really hateful things towards them. Um, so yeah. for a while we didn't talk for like six months or so. We, I just blocked their numbers. Oh, wow. um, so yeah. that was hard for me. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't experience any kind of discrimination or any, I went to a liberal arts university and then I moved to Chicago. Like there's no such thing as transphobia in yeah. those <laughs> locations. I mean, maybe there is, but in my experience there wasn't. 
everything was very happy, queer, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a lot of internal stuff. It was just a big part was looking back on my life and how Hmm. in high school I, I had this dysphoria that was making me really depressed and it was really painful for me at the time. And on testosterone, my dysphoria did lessen. I did enjoy seeing like this male figure in the mirror, but something about the fact that in high school I was depressed, but reasonably functional. Mm. And then on T, I just completely fell apart. Okay. And that was so confusing to me and I didn't understand it for a long time. But at some point I just had to say, this is not working. I, Hmm. I miss, I need to reevaluate. I need to reevaluate what my dysphoria means, how I'm supposed to be treating it, what is good for me, because this is obviously not good for me. Did you have resources then? And did, and the other question is, did your community, did you have problems with the community uh, when you decided to uh, desist? I had a lot of problems with the community online. Um, hmm. As for support, I had a therapist, but it was through like the LGBT center in Chicago. So they did not really help me question things at all. Hmm. Like even when I, when I told my therapist, I think I have to detransition, she literally said, but you have dysphoria. Hmm. Like she was so confused by this concept that I wanted to detransition. Interesting. And, okay. Yeah, so I didn't have a lot of support in that respect. It was mostly just me being like, okay, this is really fucked up. I need to figure this wow. out and this is not working. Okay. So um, that, that kind of validates, there, there's, some, there's some resistance to the narrative that uh, you folks are presenting um, by the, ext- not even just extreme resistance from like the radical trans rights activists, but um, just the initiation, initiating the discussion about detransition is really important because there is a number of people who need to at least have this as a part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it seems like that's not, that wasn't a part of the discussion when you started to go through this. Not at all. Yeah. I, the only experience I had with detransition was my two friends that I mentioned from high school, they eventually desisted way before I did. Mm. Um, and I was really angry at them for that. I, I viewed okay. it as like a betrayal almost. Mm. Um, and then there was one friend of mine online who transitioned and then detransitioned. And I just, I saw, I, I, I viewed it as triggering. So I just blocked her on Tumblr mm. and I just, Everything about detransitioning I saw as triggering okay. because it made me doubt myself. And so I just blocked it out of my okay. view. All right. So I think that there's those those two, uh, there's that, there's the blocking out of this story or just mm-hmm. this, this topic. And then there's the aggressive, like going after and smearing anybody yes. who starts talking about that. Um, yes. And that is kind of what we're dealing with now. Um, yes. All right, I, I, and how, how are you... Are you attracting that kind of attention? Are you guys attracting that kind of attention? And how are you guys uh, processing that? A little bit. Um, Before I kind of answer that, I think that if I was trans identified right now in this period of time and there was someone like us who was starting this conversation, generating all this conversation in the trans community, because I've seen a lot of it, I've gone and kind of peeked in trans Twitter and trans Tumblr and there's actually people talking about our videos whether they're critically talking about it or supporting it they're talking about it so I think if there had been that discussion it would have been useful and I wouldn't have been able to block it out as easily Mm -hmm. Um, so 
that's that. Yeah. Um, but as for people reacting to us, the biggest thing that I've gotten is like one, just because you didn't like transitioning doesn't mean that you can invalidate all trans people. You're so bitter. You should just focus on something else. Focus on bettering the world in an actual way instead of hating trans people. Yeah. Which is stupid. Um, and then there's, this is so sad. The TERFs brainwash detransition yeah. women into yeah, hating trans people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I've gotten a little bit of that. No really direct hate my way, no threats or anything yeah. like that, but just people jumping through all sorts of hoops to disqualify what we have to okay. say. All right. Um, I, I don't want to get, uh, I want to finish up your personal story and, mm -hmm. and hear about, uh, the process of coming, not coming out of it. Like we have to be careful about the words. I don't want to trigger anybody. <laughs> I just want to present this story as a story. Um, but what was it like when you started going, uh, desisting and then how did you feel, uh, once you had desisted and, and what changed about life and, and internally and externally for you? Um, in the very beginning. So every detransition is kind of different. Um, I don't, claim that everyone has my experience but in my experience i was a very 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 radical trans activist okay like I which was is interesting because when you're 14 you're kind of like an anti-sjw edgelord kind i know of thing. Huh. it's really weird uh-huh and I, I i have actually met um a couple of transition women who have the same experience of like they were edgy and then suddenly their brain got hijacked and they became SJWs and then they went back to being edgy. Um, <laughs> it's really strange. But um, it's a weird pancake so effect. What was the question? <laughs> uh, I just I want to I want to um, just get a, a picture of of kind of like the, the process of desisting and oh, yeah. what, what that was like to come back to uh, this other form of yourself. OK. Um, so as I said, I was super into trans activism. I was super into this gender ideology. And for when I first decided I had to detransition, I didn't see it as like, oh, I'm not trans. It's just, oh, I'm not a trans man, but I'm definitely mm -hmm. not a girl. Okay. So I identified as non-binary for about four months after I got off T. And I was still just like, what the fuck? This is hmm. so stupid. I'm not happy. There's something wrong. And as I started kind of seeing the errors in the own way that I was thinking throughout my transition, but also at that point, I started seeing some of the flaws with the trans ideology as a whole. Mm. And so I started just mm. being more aware of it. And I saw a lot of parts of the community that I started thinking were really toxic and really messed up. So after that, I, I just bit the bullet and I went on to Reddit gender critical, um, which mm. I at the time I was like okay these are evil turfs they're horrible but it's such a big subreddit that maybe there are a couple people who can help me because yeah, okay. I don't know who else to ask there's yeah. nothing out there um, so I went on there and they were so sweet to me hmm. they I, I typed this long frantic sob freak out story <laughs> and they I got like 150 comments and they were really really sweet to me so just seeing that I was like oh my god I was so wrong and I started mm -hmm. thinking about it differently. And I started exposing myself to more gender critical beliefs. Okay. Um, 
for a while I got super into radical feminism, but then I noticed like, okay, this is just another ideology. You got to mm, step back. Okay. Okay. That, that's and, what I wanted to ask. How do, how yeah. do we know when we're not just being brainwashed in another way? Mm-hmm. I've had, um, I've had some discussions with uh, detransitioned white nationalists or white supremacists who were really heavy white supremacists, and then they went oh, okay. out of that, um, and then they just end up being radical SJWs. It, it seems yeah. like when we get ideologically possessed, it almost feels like we're curing ourselves by just being possessed in another way. Yeah. And how how are you? What are the tools, and how do you know? that you're not going too far when you go from one ideology to another and how did you pull I, how do you pull yourself back and keep i think back? a lot of it has to do with self-awareness because especially mm. when you are kind of indoctrinated from a young age your brain develops a way of thinking yeah that it's just very polarized it's very black and white it's very extremist so even when you start noticing the flaws with that original ideology if you don't pay attention to the way that you're thinking yeah it's very easy to go and just dive straight into another ideology because you feel guilty you feel betrayed you feel like you were wronged you feel like you've lost i mean i at least feel like i felt like i had lost years of my life believing something that was a lie so it was really easy for me to just dive right in because radical feminists have a lot of really good analysis of the trans movement they have other flaws but they also have a lot of good analysis so it was really easy for me to just dive right into that but eventually i was able to have the self-awareness to just say like okay step back Hmm. this got you into trouble the first time Hmm. you need to think for yourself you can't listen to just what other people are saying um And I was also just noticing a lot of issues with, I guess, leftist politics as a whole, just in our society right now. And Mm. I started getting really critical. So Mm. um, it's all about self-awareness and just awareness and what you're looking at and what you're reading and who is saying this. Why are they saying it? What motive do they have? What is their background? All this stuff. Are you just listening to what someone's saying because it sounds like it makes sense or does it actually make sense and align with your values? Mm -hmm. So... It's kind of a personal responsibility thing. Have you finished college, your undergraduate? No. Okay. I haven't. Are you thinking about going back? Definitely. Yeah. What's your What's your area of interest? I just kind of want to understand like where your brain's headed. Oh, for sure. Um, I think I'm gonna go kind of down the legal path. Oh, really? Um, I w- I'm interested in political science. I'm interested in sociology and psychology and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm really excited for that of my life. I should be starting um, during the summer. I'm going to start off with just some community college classes to ease my way back into it. Yeah. But yeah. So your generation has grown up with the internet and chat forums Mm -hmm. and like you said, Reddit and Tumblr and stuff. And so I think you guys are developing a knowledge base that, um, or an expertise in a a mode of human behavior that's pretty, uh, I don't think a lot of adults understand. And, And I think... Uh, just to kind of swerve a little bit, just to make an example, uh, the way that the last few years um, that college campuses have erupted in protest uh, in very weird ways, um, I think a lot of the ways that the adults mishandled that is because they didn't understand how Facebook and Twitter Mm -hmm. and social media was actually galvanizing and and, uh, really um, enforcing groupthink and uh, yeah. and action ahead of like consideration and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I want to use that as a segue into what is what is your take on I guess specifically the trans ideology and how how it's operating as just a 
just in a general sense online to enforce a certain um, sort of policy and behavior and police the outside world? And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I definitely think it's a really big problem. Hmm. I I have a lot of concern over um, trans activists' interest in children. Hmm. I think that it's really harmful for an ideology to be peddled to children. I'm not really sure how the ideology made its way onto Tumblr and made its way into my community, but I knew, hmm. but I do know that a bunch of struggling, socially isolated kids, who a lot of the times are struggling with their sexuality or their mental health are the most susceptible to ideology. And then the fact that they're bringing it into schools at younger and younger ages, and there's these organizations like Gender Spectrum and Mermaids who are campaigning for less gatekeeping for transitioning of younger and younger kids. Mm -hmm. That's definitely my biggest concern, and I do think that either consciously or subconsciously, they're using the naivety of teenagers and children to kind of spread these ideas. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what the end goal is. Yeah, what is the um, end goal? <laughs> I know. I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> but I, I want to understand that desperately. So So if you guys aren't turfs, what are you? <laughs> um, well first of all, I think we all hate the word turf. Yeah, I know. That was a joke and I, I didn't mean yeah. to be offensive. No, 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 it comes no, I'm not up. offended. <laughs> okay. Um but just to put it out there because it's like there's this question of like why do D-trans women become TERFs? Like, why why do TERFs sink their claws into D-trans women and all this yeah, stuff? Yeah. Um, and I think the word means trans, exclusionary, radical, feminist. I'm not a radical feminist. I agree with a lot of what they say, but I don't consider myself a radical feminist. And I'm not trans-exclusionary. Because mm. if there's a group of people that I care about the most oh, in this world, okay. it's dysphoric people. So okay. I think that this word turf being used to, I guess, lump all people with questions about the trans ideology is harmful because it doesn't really reflect actually what anyone believes. And it's a way to impose assumptions on people just based off of maybe the words they use or the arguments they make or the concerns yeah. they have. Yeah. So... I like what you said about caring about dysphoric people, and maybe mm -hmm. we can talk a little bit about um, your your experience with dysphoria, and just to provide like what kind of resources are there out there um, to to recognize to properly diagnose somebody's dysphoria, and what 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 are things that exacerbated it? Did do you, do you think that thinking about it more and more like made made the problem bigger and bigger for you, like when you were a teenager? Yeah. Definitely. And is there any way to slow down that snowball effect of becoming obsessed with that? Uh, see, that that one's hard because I do think a lot of it comes from being online all the time. Just from my, my experience, I was really isolated. I didn't have a lot of friends. It started when I was in Catholic school, but I ended up switching schools in the very beginning of my Tumblr usage. But... In the in the very beginning of when I started using Tumblr, I didn't have any friends at school. I was bullied at school. I was super isolated. I didn't really relate to my parents because they worked all the time and stuff like that. So okay. I felt really alone. And so I used Tumblr as like my primary community. Yeah. So if there is a way to, I don't know, stop hmm. this reliance on social media to replace 
the face-to-face human intimacy that we're actually designed for, mm. I think that would help a lot of people escape the obsessive thinking because it's an echo chamber. Yeah. There's absolutely no break in the force field of it, yeah and there's no way to there's no way to slow it down because the mm-hmm. ideas are abstracted from that patient slow we're having a conversation back and forth i can't just yell at you and then block you mm-hmm. like in this mm-hmm. conversation i guess we could both just unplug the the microphones and stuff but we've mm-hmm. already established in this form of communication like yeah. kind of like a, a playing field um, that's a little slower. It has, uh, like you said, it, we're more more designed for that. But when we remove that, and this is just an analogy, I don't want to get in trouble, but like with pornography or male addiction to pornography, it abstracts that human relationship that slows it yeah. down, contextualizes it, yeah. makes it something more than just uh, neurons firing the brain, makes it like a form of communication. Um, yeah. Like pornography, it just spirals out of control on the internet because, like, mm-hmm. and it just gets more and more extreme because you're just playing with chemicals at this point. Um, yeah. And the same thing can happen with an ideology, um, mm-hmm. where it's just it's abstracted, it's memified in a way, and then you have a bunch of reinforcing things. Yes. So, so if if you don't, ha- if that's your only option for having a community, then maybe the only way to like provide. Uh, like a, a fixative for that is to provide healthier communities maybe but like is there is it less attractive the less radical a community is for young people hmm that's a curious one I, I've been thinking a lot about how we can help kids in this situation because I mean none of them walk into it expecting to be radicalized into an ideology mm-hmm. like you don't purposefully do that it's a snowball effect of like you see something it makes a little bit of sense you see something else it makes a little bit of sense oh someone else has this opinion it makes a little bit of sense someone else has this opinion it makes a little bit of sense Mm -hmm. and gradually you start building these beliefs and then as you get more into it you see people having more abstracted views more kind of radicalized opinions and statements that they make about this topic and Mm -hmm. it just becomes this massive web of ideas that you're trying Mm -hmm. to navigate and when all of your friends are also doing the same thing and navigating these yeah ideas that are so separated from reality Hmm. that it's occupying your whole mind and outside of tumblr no one's talking about it yeah so when it's occupying your whole mind and it's so abstracted from reality that you can't talk about it anywhere else but tumblr then it just makes it impossible to really slow down and think critically yeah so did you have a did you experience a, a form of ideological dysphoria where like you you're so obsessed with this stuff on the internet but then you go out into the real world and you're like what is this real world thing why isn't anybody Oh my god yeah. About this stuff? What was that yes. like then? Um I It's really it's hard to explain. It's like I in the trans community, there's like the disdain for cis people because they're privileged and all this stuff. But it, it's more than that. It's it's almost like you have this experience with your trans friends online and then you see the cis people in the real world and it just seems like you're from two different planets. Hmm. And like you will never be able to relate to those cis or normal people mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So when I would try to, when I would be at school or when I would be participating in activities through school or through my actual real world community, I felt this profound sense of alienation Hmm. because 
my priority was Tumblr and my friends on Tumblr. And I thought that the ideology that we had was so much more progressive, so much more woke, so much better. And I just thought that everyone outside of that ideology was an absolute ignorant plebeian. Okay. Had two brain cells at most, Hmm. you know, so. And is, did that alienation um, express itself as resentment? Did you start to resent the people mm -hmm. around you? And how did you end Mm -hmm. up expressing that? Or did you just keep that resentment online? Um, I, I had a lot of resentment to the point where my two friends that I mentioned, they desisted. One of them, after she desisted, I bitched her out over text message. I told her she was privileged and had Hmm. no idea what it was like. And like, oh, it must be so nice to just be able to stop identifying as trans, but I'm actually trans and you're so privileged and all this stuff. And we didn't talk for a couple months. And then my other friend, the guy I did something similar to him and we still don't talk. So I had a lot of resentment that played out in the real world like that. And then my resentment online was just constantly making angry posts and interacting with other angry people in the same boat. Hmm. And just this anger would just fester in this bubble of just thinking that we had it so much worse. We were so special. We were so unique. Yeah. Uh, And when you began the arc of desistance, um, it seems like there would be a, a dual um, kind of uh, change then, or dual detransition from the ideology and from mm-hmm. the from the whole expression of that and the and the and Definitely. the uh, testosterone. Which was more difficult? Um, I think the ideological aspect. aspect. The same can't really be said for everyone because not everyone was as hardcore as I was, mm. but. For me, it's like I believed this so strongly and so strictly for so long Hmm. that to have it forcibly, like the illusion be forcibly broken by the fact that I was desisting and that I wasn't really a trans man. Like all of this was influenced by my mental health, my alienation, sex stereotypes, and just realizing that Hmm. and how that did not align with what I had believed so hard was insane wow and i'm still kind of now it's really it's really fun for me to look at all sorts of different worldviews and huh. kind of figure out what i really believe but for a long time i've been detransitioned for almost a year oh, okay. maybe a year over a year okay or exactly a year i don't know happy birthday but um um or d-day d-day i don't know um <laughs> but um Definitely the the ideological aspect has been way more impactful on me than the physical transition the physical transition All I really had to do was stop testosterone and go back to wearing what I always wore which is just sweatshirts and leggings and stuff (laughs) Um, But the ideological aspect was changing Everything about what I thought made a human being What what was the experience of going off tea? How did how did that affect you and was it a positive experience or was there some was it a rocky road? Um, not really. I just kind of stopped taking my testosterone. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I had very many changes in, in tea didn't really change that much about my body anyway. Huh. I don't know why, but, um, but you, just I anger then I guess you said yeah. like you had some emotional amplification. Yeah. I had a lot of emotional issues, but physically wise, there wasn't really much to detransition from. My face is a little bit different, but Eh, like it's it's not that big of a deal. 
I never got any surgeries or anything, and okay. I wasn't on tea long enough to have any serious, serious changes. Yeah. And my voice is different, obviously, but hmm. um, there wasn't really that much to do other than wait. Um, but in terms of the ideology, that has yeah. been an active effort on my part yeah. to question everything. So with with Kiara, we talked about she's she talked about like she went away for six or nine months and worked with horses and machinery and stuff like that. And it seems like that was a, a way for her to just kind of reset herself. And I'm wondering what are the ways that you've been actively resetting yourself art or work or study or I guess this project. Um, this project definitely and talking to other detransition people um, mm. I've, I'm really active in trying to build a community I'm actually a moderator on the detrans subreddit okay so I I put a lot of effort into connecting people and into commenting mm -hmm. and making sure that every post has at least like somebody answering back and mm. stuff like that so that's been big for me so but it's a community just... engagement then that's mm -hmm. one of the ways that you're sinking your yeah. energies into something okay yeah and also just on a personal level looking at all sorts of different people's political opinions <laughs> philosophical opinions and stuff like that um because i've never done that before i <laughs> always purposely locked myself in an echo chamber but now i'm realizing that not one line of thinking is correct hmm. there is so many different factors and i am really enjoying exploring everything how is so, that? What are you? Uh, what's your latest kick? Or do you go through like I'm going to study this topic and that topic and that topic, or do you just kind of just web um, your way? Right now, I'm really interested in kind of this drama that's going on in politics with like the left versus the right, and yeah, I guess more on the left because I have experience in it and how people on the left are so closed-minded against like they will brandish anything they disagree with as right wing i've been called a nazi i've been called a white supremacist i've been called um a right winger i've been called a conservative all this shit and that just really woke me up to like huh. what are these people talking about and what this are is they not the way about? that i want to live my life and what what are they talking about why why do they use that tactic um because I don't agree with a lot of gender ideology. Okay. So they will automatically group you in with Nazis and white supremacists and stuff. And yeah. I look at myself as, you know, I'm a second generation Pole with family, with family members who actually did go through the Holocaust. And to be called a Nazi for saying, um, hey, maybe we shouldn't be transitioning five-year-olds is really waking me up to how polarized and how incorrect a lot okay. of the opinions in like my leftist community were. So that's what I'm really interested in right now. And I've been listening to a lot of like conservatives and centrists um, or just people on the left who are dissatisfied with the current conversation and talking about it and calling it out. Um, so that's been really fun for me. How do you think, um, I, I see that there's need for outreach to radical communities, both left and right, but the left, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I'm more concerned about than the right. And maybe that's just my bias. I don't know. Um, I, I really want a strong, healthy left. I think yeah, that's something that we need. Um, so what are some of the ways that you've seen to reach out to people? Or do you think that people just need to go through this themselves and, and either be thrown out or, or go through some sort of waking up experience? Is there any way to reach out? Um, I think... 
that kind of experience that you just mentioned is the most efficient way. <laughs> like in, in a community where everyone's fighting so much and the smallest mistake can get you crucified in the town square, like it hmm. isn't a long, it's not going to be a long time before people have these experiences okay. and they get burned and they realize something's wrong. But I also do think that for people who maybe aren't as far into like this radical left side, if you can reach out to those people and just encourage critical thinking, mm. not really reach out from a perspective of telling them what to think or yeah. to change their beliefs, but to encourage critical thinking, to encourage looking at things and listening to people who you disagree with or make you uncomfortable and thinking about what they're saying and why they're saying it. Mm-hmm. Because it's not true that all conservatives are just terrible bigots. They have actual moral, ethical, spiritual reasons for what they believe. And when you understand yeah. that, it makes it a lot easier to have a conversation. And mm. so I think we need to encourage people to think critically and humanize people that they disagree with. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of potential for people who aren't as far to yeah. come to those kinds of conclusions. Yeah. It just it seems so much more fun to be engaging in ideas and, and being in a state of questioning. And, and I guess humility is one intellectual humility is one way of framing it. Like I don't know everything. Um, it just seems Mm -hmm. so much more uh, fun and engaging and experimental and filled with possibility than knowing what's right and trying to force the world to go on the right path, which seems just Mm -hmm. so stressful and, and just filled with like, you're setting yourself up for a lot of misery. Um, that's just my, yeah. Oh, you're completely right. Like, just from my experience and being in that very radical left community, like, I I was a radical trans activist. I was a communist. I was really supportive of, like, Antifa. I was really supportive of the kind of radical, queer, like, sex work, kink, stuff like that. Yeah. But I really didn't know what I was talking about. But there's Mm. this pressure to constantly act like you know what you're talking about and to say everything with such conviction. And (laughs) eventually you're going to run into a situation where you say some shit you can't back up and people are going to fight you over it. And it's so much more liberating to allow yourself to think and to not have to say everything with such conviction and to not have to have such a strong opinion on everything all the time. Yeah. Also, my computer's going to die. I am so okay. sorry. I have to go plug it in. I'll be okay. right back. All right. Hopefully you can cut that out or something, but if you can't, that's fine. No, I got I, I got it. I'm, I'm competent in that. Uh, I have a question for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? How do we reach uh, teenagers? How do we reach 14, 15-year-olds? Mm. I think... I'm struggling because it's very hard for people who have been through this kind of journey and have been woken up to Hmm. the flaws in this way of thinking to go back and reach people who haven't been through that. It's like with everything that kids do, like parents and other adults will tell kids like, don't do this. I've been through this. It's bad. It's not good. Like go to school, do your homework, exercise, but you don't listen when you're young. Yeah. Okay. And so that's really hard, and I don't know, because there are a lot of, I guess, gender-critical people on Tumblr, but also Tumblr is one of the most hostile atmospheres in terms of gender-critical versus trans activists. Yeah. So it's Hmm. like 
any everywhere where there are these vulnerable kids, there's also this system in place mm. that prevents them from really looking at anything contrary to that particular narrative wow. and demonizing anyone on the outside of that particular narrative. So I think for me, the, the thing that I'm starting to consider that's most important is honestly the parents and teaching them how to navigate mm. this situation in the most productive way because mm. I guess a lot of parents don't consider this stuff. Like they're just normal parents living their normal lives with their normal kids and then suddenly their kid comes out as trans. Yeah. So, and then they end up handling it in the wrong way because there's not a lot of information. They don't know how to handle it. They're freaking out. So if if we can kind of spread awareness that like, okay, unfortunately we live in a society where it's it might be a reality that your kid is going to go through this and to kind of spread awareness to mm. people in the general population on how like what to do how to teach your child critical thinking how mm. to help them navigate the online world and mm. to educate parents on what goes on in the online world because yeah. they have no idea okay. yeah um, i think that would be the most helpful because unfortunately once you actually get online there's not a lot that you yeah. can do you can't not be online. I mean, I guess you can. I, I'm sure there are some parents who who will just cut the kid off from online, but it's much more efficient to teach skills on how to be online. Um, and even if parents do cut their kids off from being online, they'll find another way and that'll build resentment and they'll trust their parents less and yeah. trust the people online more. Yeah. So if you can, if you can help parents build trust and help parents educate yeah. their kids and give them the skills to navigate all these different ideologies with a critical eye. I think that will be the most important thing for kids individually. And then, you know, working to change the narrative as well so yeah. that we don't have this general competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it seems like there, it's the wrong question to ask, like, what are some good platforms for kids to get involved and mm -hmm. develop critical thinking? It's more like where on these huge platforms, where on Reddit is a good community, where on how do you find people on Twitter that, that, you know, will be in that age group that will be, you know, building you up uh, rather than putting, uh, squishing you into a, a way of thinking? Have you found it on uh, on Reddit? I guess Reddit's a good stable place because it does have communities. Mm -hmm. Where are some good places for kids to hang out and shoot the shit? Um, I think Reddit, Reddit is generally um, probably my favorite social media even though I do use Twitter more um, because even though there's there's this growing trend of like these I guess ideological things growing in unrelated subreddits mm -hmm. like I know a while ago some there was all this drama because someone there's a subreddit called too afraid to ask oh. and someone asked like isn't transgender the same thing as, as stereotypes I think it was that subreddit it was one of those subreddits where you ask questions yeah. And the user got banned for asking a transphobic question. Oh. But there was a lot of, I guess, conversation and drama about it and people being like, whoa, 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 this is Reddit. We are not supposed to be, like, having this ideological overlord. Yeah. Like, this is supposed to be, like, Reddit was originally intended to be this Bastion of anonymous free community for free speech. Yeah. And when you have this kind of policing going on, on, that's an abuse of power by the moderators. Yeah. So I think Reddit does have that kind of attitude for the how most you, part. So then I, I how like do you Reddit. foster a good community in your subreddit then? 
Like what are some of the ways that you've found that, that allows for the growth mindset rather than the squishing mindset? Um, 100% free speech, even on D-Trans, as long as someone, we have, we have the rule be civil, which is like, if you have a disagreement, you have to discuss it civilly. You can't just come at each other's throats, but there are allowed to be disagreements. There's allowed to be gender ideologists as well as gender critical people. You just can't force, try to force someone to think the other way. Um, and then we also have a rule that says you can't encourage transition. Hmm. You don't have to discourage it, but you can't encourage it. What do you because mean we've by had that? A, we've had a problem with people coming on the subreddit and asking, like expressing their doubts, expressing their confusion. And then people will come from trans subreddits and type to those people like, don't do it, don't detransition. Or no, hmm. just just transition, don't worry about it. Stuff like that. And try to like... Hmm. talk them into it or talk them out of detransitioning and we don't that's like weird that. <laughs> that's yeah. weird it's fucked up okay why why is it weird it it feels off to me why do you think what's wrong with that what's wrong with people encouraging transition and discouraging detransition because one it's not their life like why would you why if 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 you're a smoker and one of your friends is considering smoking. You want a cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> no, but but like if, if huh. you think about it kind of similarly, like smoking is not good for you, but a lot of people do it. Transition might not be good for you, but a lot of people do it. If mm. you're a smoker and your friend's saying, okay, I'm going to quit smoking, like it would be inappropriate for you to try to convince them not to just because you don't want to. Yeah, it seems like you know? the, the motivation is is odd. And so my question in general, what do you think is the motivation of that? And did you, did you do that yourself? I did. Yeah. Um, and speaking from personal experience, it's, it's a threat to your own identity, especially when you yourself have doubts that you don't want to admit when someone else is speaking these doubts out loud, doubts that you're repressing really hard. And you've been devoting a lot of energy to creating all sorts of convoluted logical scenarios to justify those doubts and create it into a justification for transitioning. So like when I would have doubts or something, I would tell myself it's internalized transphobia. It's cis people's fault that I feel bad about transitioning and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So then when I saw other, like when I saw people detransition, I would feel threatened subconsciously because they were voicing the doubts that I was spending so much time trying to convince myself out of. So, yeah. And then I, I would convince myself that they were the victims. They were being brainwashed by yeah. cis people. They were being brainwashed by turfs. Like they were in literal physical danger. They were going to kill themselves if they actually listened to these transphobes and detransitioned, you know? So I think there's a lot of factors that come into that. But yeah, if there's only so much sympathy you can feel when this person is actually trying to do harm to another person by yeah. trying to convince them to do something that they are obviously considering is bad for them. Yeah. So. And one one criticism that I've I, I've seen on uh, in the comment fields of of this mini series within a, a larger mini series on on mm-hmm. gender sexuality and then detransition. One of the things it, it seems like the question is, how do you diagnose yourself as not trans? Um, and and it seems like your answer to this, and I want you to expound on this if you want, is uh, it seems like you just took. Uh, you looked at your emotional compass 
and he saw mm-hmm. that you were miserable, and that's mm-hmm. what led you. Um, and and how did you? How do you know when you're not lying to yourself? How do you know when you're following the right path or you're on the wrong path? I think it has to start with the general narrative that we're portraying to people because the thing, something that I really disagree with is that there's real trans people and then there's people who get confused. And that's kind of a narrative that one is pushed upon me that I was never really trans. I just got confused. Yeah. Um, and also it's just, it's not true. What I believe in my theory is that there is gender dysphoria. It's a psychological condition in which you feel extreme distress with your biological sex and your sex characteristics. And the mistake is that even people who believe that gender dysphoria is a psychological condition, which not all people do, sadly, um, they believe that the treatment to gender dysphoria is always transition and if transition doesn't work for you you never have gender dysphoria and what i want to say is that gender dysphoria can have many different treatments yeah that we need to research we need to allow conversation Mm. we need to literally allow people to research instead of deplatforming them and firing them so that we can figure out what kind of treatments are going to work is cbt going to work are similar treatments to something like an eating disorder or a body dysmorphic disorder going to work? Mm-hmm. Because obviously transition isn't working for anyone. And I find it very hard to believe that I can identify as trans for five years and I was never really trans or someone can go and get genital reconstruction surgery, but then they were never really trans. I just mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. agree with that. So I think the conversation on what is being trans, is there a such thing as transgender or is it people with gender dysphoria choosing to transition? Yeah. Do all people with gender dysphoria have to transition? I think we need to enable that discussion and change that narrative. Um, okay. Yeah. Did you do? Do you still experience dysphoria? I do occasionally. Yeah. Um, it's more. It's a lot more occasional um, because it got a lot worse while I was transitioning because I didn't want to be a trans man. I wanted to be a man. Yeah. And so that is not humanly possible despite what people will tell you try to tell you um Hmm. so once i kind of had to admit i'm never gonna be a man i just have to accept the body that i was given Hmm. the body that i have and just work all the time to accept that Hmm. it's a lot i have dysphoria a lot less and when i do have it it's a lot less painful because i don't have Hmm. this i guess diluted wish that if I chase this long enough, I will someday be enough of a man to not feel like I want to be a biological male. Would you mind just talking about what that, what it's like? Is it that you, do you feel disgust with the woman form that you have, or do you feel like something's missing or that you're not who you are, that you're not, there's a disconnect between self-perception and physical reality? Yeah, it genuinely feels like you were born in the wrong body. Hmm. Like, it just feels like you look at this and you're like, this is wrong. And it's almost like a mourning. Like, you're mourning Hmm. the fact that you were stuck in this cage. Wow. And it's a very painful feeling. And it's it's about your body as a whole. It's about the way society treats you. But it's also about individual body parts that you just can't stand to look at. Yeah. And you're always aware of them. Huh. It's not just like when you look in the mirror. It's like you're constantly acutely aware that you have this body part or your body is shaped in a certain way or someone is looking at you and perceiving a female. Yeah. 
Hmm. And so part of the way that you cope with that is just kind of like a very long regimen of self-acceptance or <clears throat> just basically denying uh, that feeling. Is there any positive things? And furthermore, have you gone to any therapy or, or are you engaged in any like research on like what's going on with this? Do we know what's going on um, in, um, in your case? I don't think we really know what's going on, but I am seeing a therapist and, but most of my healing has been done through examining where my dysphoria came from hmm. because I mean, it's, it is really good to just accept your physical material reality and that yeah. you can't change your biological sex but also like dysphoria for a lot of people. I mean, we don't know if it's, if there could be biological components to dysphoria. We don't know that. Okay. But I think for a lot of people, sex stereotypes are a big thing. Okay. And I know for me, when I look back on it, the, I guess kind of moment where I started feeling this unhappiness with my female body is like, I wasn't a tomboy, but I always felt like I had a more, male brain or way of thinking which is i mean sexist because not all women are just dumb bimbos but yeah okay yeah 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 and so i related to a lot of boys and i had a lot of boyfriends when i was younger Mm -hmm. but then as like puberty started hitting the attitudes that boys and girls had to each other were no longer really neutral it was kind of like oh we're girls and they're boys yeah or like I would be with my guy friends and I was no longer one of the guys. Like yeah. I was this other thing, growing yeah. boobs and having a period and stuff. <laughs> so I associated the development of these new things with this feeling of alienation. So was it was it a feeling of, of loss? Was puberty like like you were being added to with womanness? Like there was you and then like all of a sudden all this mm-hmm. like womanness is stacking. Or was it like mm-hmm. a loss? of of something like a loss of your acceptance as as like not even a man but just something like it was like i so kind of before puberty when i was a little kid and all my friends were little kids um there wasn't a lot of talk about like gender nobody thought about dating and all this stuff because we were just kids and shit and I just happened to have more guy friends it's not because I was like oh I'm a guy and I hate girls it's like (laughs) I just had a lot of guy friends and then as puberty came along it was like forcibly taking me away from that and categorizing me into something that I didn't relate with so it was just like this feeling of like no like bring it back like I don't want to but you can't reverse puberty so I guess the way my brain processed that was saying like I was meant to be a guy. Okay. Yeah. Like this is a mistake. Interesting. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then you have the, co- the coping me- mechanism of this narrative that would say that you, you're just in the wrong body or like the whole trans mm-hmm. or the gender ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, something that like I've been thinking about or playing with, it's a tweet, but I don't know how to phrase it in, in tweet length, but um, in, in having discussions with, with you ladies and with Megan Murphy, who's a, uh, uh, a feminist. Um, mm-hmm. I'm coming into contact with uh, a section of society that I haven't before, which is kind of like the radical, kind of angry radical feminists. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that like all feminists are angry, but like there's this <laughs> this subset. Um, Disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> but like it seems like there's these really angry feminists and these really angry men's rights activists, and it's just making me think like that there's 
there's like these clans, there's these gender clans that, and, and there's a small part of them that are at war. And, and I'm wondering like with, and to extrapolate on that or to, to, to back away from the intensity of that, I wonder if like, there's not like a need for gender centrism, right? Like, like a, a, a broader space for, for not needing to commit to these, uh, not just sex roles, um, but just plugging into society and plugging into friendships. And I wonder if that's even impossible because it seems like kids just kind of naturally shake out into uh, uh, sex characteristics are informing them in two different ways. But I think a lot of the anger comes from people just finding, like, they stick to their ideology, they stick to their crew, and they have these very strict ideological beliefs and then obviously there's going to be the opposite of that ideological belief and then they're going to fight and they're going to make each other more angry and then they're each stuck in their own echo chambers where they're perceiving the other side maybe in a different way than it actually is Mm -hmm. um so i think to combat that we need to stress compassion humanizing the other side and thinking like okay maybe they have some real shit beliefs but they believe it for a reason and it might not be just because they're bigoted hateful people yeah they have a story and you don't have to agree with them, but you should make an effort to understand that they have a story okay. and try to come together. And I think we also need to prioritize just science and fact-based thinking hmm. because, like, for example, with a lot of radical feminists, I agree with a lot of their analysis, but also some of the things they say are just blatantly anti-scientific. For example, that there's no differences between, like, male brains and female brains And I think that's an oversimplification from what Mm -hmm. I understand. It's like there are characteristics of the brain that can correlate with biological sex and they Mm -hmm. can cause differences, but it's not like there is a cookie cutter male brain and a cookie cutter female. Yeah. 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 But, but with some radical feminists, they, they perceive it as we're all blank slates and every single difference between men and women is societally based and it's all rooted in patriarchy. Patriarchy. And so just when you think about things that way, it's unscientific, it's ideologically based, there's going to be a lot of anger because someone else who has a different ideology, equally unscientific, equally <laughs> whatever the hell, you're going to have fighting. So mm. I think we need to encourage people to think in a more um, scientifically based and rational way and also to have compassion. Okay. Is there, I, I guess then that's your, that's your grand narrative then, um, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I don't want to religify it, but like, it seems like a, you know, like a nice, solid kind of love thy neighbor, um, mm-hmm. kind of, uh, kind of way of going about things. And I think that if, if you guys follow that and by you, I mean the, the peak resilience project, I think that's, that's the amazing thing that's happening with me, even though like I'm stepping out of my bubble, I was doing a lot of criticism of op-ed feminism. Um, and I started speaking with feminists, um, and then finding like, Oh, you know, I get along with this person and I understand, I'm starting to understand what she's perceiving. I don't need to change her. Um, Mm -hmm. we can just like start to get to know each other. And it's really interesting that that, uh, sets off people who are like, why are you talking to the enemy? I, somebody said like, you're going to die a traitor now for talking to this woman, you know? And then I have like the radical feminists, like, why are you trying to like talk to her about porn and like being all rapey and stuff? Like, it's like, not all feminists want to castrate you and not all men want to rape you guys. Like, let's yeah, calm down a little bit. It's like a really mm-hmm. intense thing. But those are the outliers and they, they, they kind of have, they appear stronger than they actually are. And I'm mm-hmm. learning like, 
you know, I need to have compassion for you. You're projecting something going on, and I, I probably can't reach out to you because you're you're really against men. Um, but I can keep on modeling these discussions. And if yeah. you guys misread them, that's up to you. But like, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm amazed by how much, how many friends like I'm able to 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 forge. And like, even though I don't agree with everybody that I'm mm-hmm. speaking with, it's like I'm growing. Yeah, as a person, I and, completely relate. You know, and and it's just it's so much it's just so amazing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that would be the thing that like, I don't want to be a preacher of it, but I'm like, look at this, look at this. This is really sweet. If you go along this path. Um, Mm -hmm. So what, what's next on your plate then? Are you going to be speaking in New York? Yeah, I am. I'm really excited for that. Um, I am also planning my own YouTube channel. Um, I'm still kind of trying to figure things out. Um, but like, I'm planning that in the near future. With what you're going to be doing on the YouTube? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just kind of a general idea for my channel. I want, to be, I want it to be a little bit more lighthearted than Peak Resilience, just mm-hmm. kind of talking about things from my perspective, um, but not overly seriously, like maybe laughing about some things here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be starting school. Um, yeah. I'm just going to continue trying to spread, I guess, these values that I've learned along the way help other people see so yeah cool um it's been so amazing to that you guys have uh almost all spoken with me i have i have one more jesse jesse yeah um Mm -hmm. and we'll be speaking pretty soon um so thank you so much and um i i don't know how to wrap this up do you have anything profound that we can end on (laughs) 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 not to put you on the spot but could you play that ukulele maybe or or drive a dump truck or whatever. Sure. <laughs> I saw a Catching chill in a sequin dress And I came up close and I gave her a rose So she wouldn't jump off She looked at me with an askance face Said, bro, you're violating my space Would you please step back and lock the feel of the wind On my skin Your expense.